is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another postseason edition of the London is Blue podcast. I have, I am, of course, Nick uh, with uh, Jesse and Abdullah for our second uh, of our two postseason episodes. We're going to kind of go through the season in review, talk about the highs, talk about the lows, uh, kind of preview what might be to come uh, next season uh, and all that jazz and, and do it in some depth and with some uh, some humor. That'll be it'll be good. Uh, but first and foremost, just wanted to quickly say because uh, we uh, don't have um, a, a, at least an officially scheduled um, uh, normal episode of London is Blue this week. It's a lot of season reviews, and then we're heading into Keeps Alone next week. That the uh, official sale of Chelsea Football Club to uh, Todd Bowley and Clear the Capitals officially announced like 20, 30 minutes ago um, before we're recording. Uh, this has been done for a few days, but of course they waited till the last possible minute to announce before everything uh, kind of became official. Uh, we are, of course, excited for the new chapter and the continued investment in the Chelsea women's team and Kings Meadow. Uh, but they, they put out a statement themselves. So I'll just kind of read their their words and, and have you kind of take that in. Uh, Bowley and Clear Lake are committed to investing in key areas that will extend and enhance Chelsea's competitiveness, including the redevelopment of Stanford Bridge, further investment in the academy, the women's team and Kings Meadow Stadium. The owners will also continue the important work on the Chelsea Foundation. Uh, I believe this is uh, from Todd Bowley. We are honored to become the new custodians of Chelsea Football Club. We are all in 100% every minute of every match. Our vision as owners is clear. We want to make the fans proud, along with our commitment to, uh, to developing the youth squad and acquiring the best talent. Our plan of action is to invest in the club for long term, for the long term and build on Chelsea's remarkable history of success. I personally want to thank the ministers, officials, British government, and the Premier League for all their work in making this happen. I do not want to thank them for how long this took, but um, look, guys, it's done. Uh, thoughts and feelings, Jesse? I think relief, right, as the kind of overwhelming thing. I know I feel like this has been done, obviously, for a while, and I feel like generally we all knew that like it wasn't going to teeter off a cliff, but given the amount of briefing from whoever and whatever, to the contrary, uh, there's been some nervy moments over the past couple of weeks and months, and... I think I really liked this bid and this group of people and I think it's really exciting for the club to kind of get this opportunity to move on and be able to do all the things we want to do in the summer, like sign players and exciting stuff like that. Be able to operate as a club, that's that's kind of fun. Um, Return to being a football team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's also, you know, not like there should be any doubt about this, but... Um, Nigel Huddleston, MP, the sale of Chelsea FC has now been completed. A great relief to Chelsea fans around the country and indeed the world. The takeover means the club is no longer subject to the sanctions imposed on Robin Abramovich and can look ahead to secure a long-term future. Abdullah, it seems like everything's free and clear now. So back to back to spending boatloads of cash and winning the Champions League, right? Let's do it, man. I mean, that's that's what we're waiting for. That's what we're looking forward to next season. Let's, let's, let's go and buy some players after the exodus that's been happening on both the men and the women's side. So uh, I'm looking forward to transfer season, you know, the highs and the lows, the tears and the, and the laughter. So uh, let's do it. We're in for one hell of a ride in the next three months. Well, yeah, and, and obviously hope that the uh, promises made on diversity, equity, and inclusion by the bully group 
come to fruition and continue the, the long heritage that the Chelsea women's team in particular have, have put forward across the club. Uh, hope they engage Chelsea pride. And I'm sure Tracy is just uh, waiting on pins and needles uh, to, to take that call. So uh, look, we're going to get into the episode. We're going to talk about the season review, going to review some of the, uh, the highs and lows, like I said earlier, and chat about what we're, th- uh, what we think is going to come next year. I wanted to make a special note uh, we teased that a special guest would be a part of this episode, and unfortunately, Claire Rafferty was meant to join us, but had a last-minute conflict and couldn't uh, couldn't join today. But we uh, hope, fingers crossed, that there will be a pod special coming out with her that's more of an interview style anyway, so that would be really cool. Uh, so we'll get her on as soon as she is able to do that and uh, and do kind of a fun pod special, right, Jesse? Yeah, I think it'll be really, really fun to have Claire on and hopefully just get a bit of insight from her time at the club but also you know she's she's still around the club at the moment so she's got a great kind of view on a full 15 years almost of uh, mm-hmm. uh, Chelsea history so it'll be great to great to have a proper chat with her okay well we'll dive into it part one overview of the whole season minute by minute analysis <laughs> kidding obviously uh I, I think first question to you both and we'll start with Abdullah here Given the context, right, Chelsea win uh, the 2020-2021 FA Cup this year and the 2021-2022 FA Cup plus the WSL in one season, get eliminated in the Champions League. Obviously, we'll get to that later. Uh, What were your thoughts on the season? Would you say it's broadly positive, maybe average or below expectations? I would say overall, at the end of it, you look back and you think it was a positive season. I mean, I think winning the league was a I don't want to say it was it was a compensation for getting out of the Champions League so early but I think it was still one of the two major trophies on display that you know that was that was there to win and and Chelsea went on and won it and I think that was probably the minimum requirement for this to be considered a positive season on on you know in, in a broad sense um and I think winning the FA Cup both last seasons and this seasons in the same season, I think that just kind of caps off what can still be considered an overall positive season. Yes, there are things to work on, but I think considering it was probably one of the tightest WSL seasons we've seen in recent years, um, everybody improved. You know, the you know the, the result against Arsenal came down to the very last day, probably the last forty-five minutes, if we're being really honest. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. So I think, I think all things considered, at least it wasn't a, a cakewalk league where, you know, we can go, well, you know, they won the league, but it was really easy for them to win the league. So really, is it that, you know, is it that great? But no, it was, it was, it was, it was a season where they toiled, they worked hard, there were highs and lows and, you know, some, some memorable results uh, in between to, to, to give it a positive spin. Jesse, what about you? Is this, you know, Positive, neutral, negative. Look, you can't. Any season where you win a domestic double, you can't say so it, it was wasn't a loaded a positive question. Season. It was a loaded question, to be fair. <laughs> but and I think Abdullah's point is a good one. Like I think the fact that we had to work for both those trophies does make it feel more rewarding. I think you know there are leagues within women's football where maybe if you picked up a domestic double, you wouldn't feel like it was a positive season. And so I think, and it also says a lot about this team that we were able to take a disappointing December and go on a run from there to to kind of pick up those trophies. I think that, to me, felt like a really positive thing, even though the Champions League disappointment was a really big deal, and I still feel that quite keenly, to be able to kind of turn it around and say, no, we've still got stuff to play for and we're going to play for it. You only have to look at, like, 
the way Man City kind of spiralled out in the first couple of weeks of the season to see how like a, a couple of bad results can really like derail um, a season for a team. So yeah, I think you've got to see it as positive, but of course there's stuff to build on. Yeah, I, w- I would say this as we look at you know some of the the biggest matches of the season. My overall thought on this, uh, having you know been with you guys and covered it week in week out, right? What happened? to the team in December followed by the sanctions and uncertainty that followed in March um, should have derailed this team. Like if you, if you really are going to be honest about it and you look at, you know, what happened to the men's team and what happened to the U23 team this year, like these were not overall positive seasons. Um, But what I, I think the women are not getting enough credit for is fighting through an incredible amount of uh, adversity with um, especially the sanctions and an uncertain future um, going on and some of the uh, ownership bids that that may have not um, gone full into the investment of the women's team. And there there was plenty of reason to be distracted, right? Uh, Plenty of reason to maybe not give it your all and to see how much the league and FA Cup meant at the end of the year shows a kind of warrior mentality to me that like we just fought through the most difficult circumstances that any club outside of going into administration, right? Which I think is the only other thing that could have possibly happened to Chelsea this year. Um, that, that would have been worse than what happened. Um, this is, it's an all timer and, and this team fought through it and did an incredible job. So I would, I would go a plus, for the way that it ended and just an incredible effort. But we're going to start with a low <laughs> uh, because when we look back at the season, the, the first match review pod that we do of this, of this beautiful podcast that we, that we kind of generated this year, three, uh, two versus Arsenal, Jesse, your favorite team. Um, and you know, this I, I think was a, I don't know if it was a surprise given that, you know, both teams had players missing from, uh, summer tournaments and and all that, but it was certainly not a full strength Chelsea versus a full strength Arsenal, and Chelsea certainly did not look full strength, even though they should have had at least a point. Yeah, I mean, this was really like the only way is up kind of game. Mm. I think I think what freaked me out about this match, and obviously in hindsight, it didn't really have to matter, but I did truly leave the Emirates that day feeling concerned just because. You know, this was the first proper game we'd played since the Champions League final, and it felt like Arsenal kind of tore us open in exactly the same way Barcelona did. And my concern there was that, you know, Emma had gone for this new formation, there was all this confusion, was it going to be a back three? It was. And it just didn't work, like, at all. Like, there was so much space on the wings, Arsenal were able to absolutely exploit it. Look, there was some fantastic finishing from Viv and Beth Mead in that game. So, you know, like I've got the XG of the script here and it was 1.1 each. So, but I just think the nature of the way it happened made it really feel nervy. And also because the narrative going into the game had been that Arsenal had had to play all these early Champions League fixtures. So they were kind of like, they'd been rushed back from the Olympics. They hadn't had a holiday, whereas we were supposed to be kind of like nice and refreshed. Our players had been given a little bit more time. And then we got there and obviously like the total opposite was true. And I just thought like, oh my God, like this is going to be a really long, long season. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I, I think Abdul. When I when I think back to this match, obviously the the tone of our of our show was kind of like 
is this the league done in week one? <laughs> like, I mean, just with the way that, you know, this league can be sometimes. Um, but the thing I took out of the match was Aaron Cuthbert came out on fire. Uh, she was by far our best player in this match, um, scored the first goal of our season, um, and was playing in this like hybrid right wing pressing role that, you know, I, I, we hadn't seen for a long time, if ever. Uh, and so I kind of was like, oh, Aaron's back to Claimer's spot this year. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that that game probably set the tone for her, the rest of her season. And, and you know, at the end of the season now, we're, we're basically saying, you know what, probably uh, the unofficial, maybe even official player of the season, you know, in just from everything that she's been able to do and and, and, and the way she's been playing and, and staking her claim, like we've said, in like multiple different positions right wing right wing back center midfield now so i i think i think i think that game can be you know in some ways fair enough chelsea lost it but it kind of cat you know was the catalyst for you know and aaron cuthbert to come through and really shine and, and we see that you know because i you know maybe if it was a stroll in the park you know so to speak uh, maybe aaron cuthbert doesn't work that hard and it doesn't or maybe she does but then you know you don't get to see the extra bit of quality when you're chasing a game or, or something like that so um maybe maybe the 3-2 was needed to get the you know the squad in in check and, and say all right you need to focus for the rest of the season it's not going to be easy and um little did we know that it was going to be a season where everyone was going to drop points against random teams obviously arsenal lost to birmingham so you know you don't expect that on the first day like if someone had said to us don't worry about it. You lost this game, but Arsenal will lose to Birmingham at 2-0 at some point later, you know, six months down the line. You're going to be like, I highly doubt that, but okay, I'll t- you know, I'll take your word for it kind of type thing. So um, concern was there, but I think overall, with it being such a tense and intense season, um, turned out for the best. Well, and this, this game will also be memefied later on in the season as, as Jonas Eideval dropped to his knees <laughs> celebrating the WSL title to come. Um and uh, and boy, did we have fun with that later on. Um, I, I think I think the game that I think, at least for me, kind of solidified that Chelsea were were definitely in this title race was four nil away at City. Um, I, I remember doing this match review, Jesse being as giddy as a person can be. Um, what were your what were your reactions to this? I mean, because the team had not started well throughout the season it was, it was a bumpy road we we're getting players back from injury back from the olympics and, and all sorts of stuff but uh jesse fleming in the second minute sam kerr in the 45th plus four minutes frank kirby in the 52nd minute and magda erickson captain leader legend on the 55th minute this was just a total dominant performance my key reaction was i fucking love being man city <laughs> <laughs> literally such a good feeling um especially at the because the thing is the academy like we went and won away at city twice this season so but it's important to remember that before we did that the only time we'd ever beaten them there was in extra time in the conti cup last season and Mm. just felt like this match and the fa cup game was just like us kind of blowing away this notion that city had become this kind of bogey team for us to go and face and look, you know, that Jesse Fleming goal in the second minute is like such a, like, that summed up Man City season, the way they conceded that goal, but I'll take it every day. And then, yep. you know, we just kind of obviously got into our flow. And I think, you know, these were a bunch of games where it felt like we kind of got back into like a really good rhythm and and things were kind of starting to click for us. 
Yeah, it did help, obviously, when, when you're playing an opponent who's just totally in disarray, but just very, very enjoyable from, you know, a neutral, well, not neutral, obviously, but like uh, taking it outside of the context of the whole season. Like it was just like a very enjoyable as a one-off to be able to to go and do that. Yeah, Abdullah, at this point, City were 2-1-4, and four, Chelsea were 6-0-1, uh, and one, obviously the one being Arsenal. Uh Two, uh, two seasons, two trajectories going in different directions. Uh, you could have played the Benny Hill music for City's season up to this point, and, and it would have been accurate. What were your thoughts on this match? Yeah, 100%. I think I think it was it was after the Arsenal game. I think it was important to come away from a, from another big game, you know, like Manchester City, and put in a dominant performance. You know, maybe I think I think generally just get 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 the W in, in general. Maybe it'd be a one nil, two nil. But the, the the fashion in which they were able to to come away from Manchester City and and they left. I think to me, if I remember, for me it was like I came away from that game thinking, all right, that that slight aura of invincibility and scare, you know, and the fear factor was was starting to get back at Chelsea because it will, you know, it starts to look like. Uh, you know what? Maybe, maybe Arsenal was just a blip. It was just a first season game. The, the 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 reasons were probably valid, and then you know, okay, look, they've they've managed to blow away Manchester City four 0 Because at that point, yes, it's a two one and a four, but you know, before that game, it's a two one three possibly, and and people are like, all right, maybe City just slight struggle in the beginning of the season. This is where they show up. But then when you blow them away like that, you know, you're like, all right, Chelsea are here to stay. Maybe Manchester City are going to be flying away, uh, floating away. Uh, for this game but um yeah it was, it was a huge game loved the performance and I, I thought it was you know integral we get that win for the momentum well speaking of blowing teams away um that there was a I, I believe this was a a, uh, a record victory for Chelsea nine nil away at Leicester uh the club that is a part of a few nine nils but in the opposite direction um Gore Ryden, third minute, Sam Kerr, fifth minute, Beth England, seventh minute, and now in 11th minute, Beth England again in the 28th, Gore Ryden again in the uh, 45 plus five, uh, Sam Kerr in the 47th, uh, Lauren James in the 88th, getting her goal for the first time, and then Jesse Fleming in the 90th with an absolute uh, pile driver. Um, what were your what were your thoughts on this one, Jesse? I mean, this obviously shows the, the difference in class between uh, Leicester and Chelsea, but... Uh, finally started scoring some of the chances that we had been, you know, not really taking up to this point. This was one of the few games that I missed live this season. Well, I missed the first half of it live. Uh And I was sitting at a uh, dinner with my family with my phone on the table. And it was just going like buzz, buzz, buzz. I was like, who's texting me? And I was like... Oh no, we're four 0 up after eleven minutes. Sure, this is the get. This is the half I choose to miss. Like having sat through, there'd been a lot of dross in the lead up to this game. A lot of like slow games, poor results, being unable to score. Um, but yeah, we this really suited us. Uh, I think you know Leicester play on the king power, and I think playing on that bigger those bigger pitches like really works out well for us you know like we've got a fantastic record at Wembley for example okay let's leave the Emirates aside (laughs) but like I think this is one of those ones where we could really make the most of the space and we just kind of tore into them and I think there was a lot of players who kind of had a lot of goal scoring to get off their their chest uh and yeah some some great goals like that's the thing as well it's like sometimes you go you watch games like this and you're like oh 
the team's just made like a load of defensive errors and they've kind of collapsed. And like, don't get me wrong, like Leicester City weren't like obviously defending really well, but you know, the guru right and free kick, stuff like that. Like there was a lot of quality in this game, even though it kind of was also a bit brutal. Abdullah, 9-0, as many different goal scorers as you could hope for. Lauren James gets her first goal. Thoughts? Yeah, I think obviously uh, it set the tone for Chelsea to have, you know, not not to show that they're not over-reliant on a single source of goals. Obviously, Sam, Skir- Sam Kerr has scored the majority of goals and, and obviously... You know, we ever, ever, you know, Chelsea are ever grateful for the amount of the car contributions. But I think it was just great to see that, you know, like Guru got a couple, Beth got a couple, and Ignawa got a goal, Lauren Jane's got a goal, Jesse Fleming got a goal. So all these different attacking names and even defensive names were able to get on the end of a, of a goal, I think was just good for everybody's confidence. And I think at that point, you know, we weren't sure what, you know, what kind of condition and form Beth England was in. And then she goes and scores a double in, in, in about 20, 25 minutes. So I think that was good. And this was the start of the Zagura Wrighton uh, revolution, uh, you know, going in with those pile drivers off that left wing back roll and, 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 and crosses. So, you know, overall, I think it was just, you know, another one. It was for the momentum, you know, going in, you know, six games later from the City game. And, you know, just, just, I think, I think this, this performance was needed just to, just to stamp some authority on not just the big gains, but like just to kind of say, all right, even against the, the, the so-called smaller teams where flat track bullies, we will, we will destroy teams when we want to. And uh, that 9-0 was just kind of a, a rubber stamp on that. Obviously, as we go through late in the season, as we will see, um, that becomes a little bit more of a problem as we go down the line, but, it's always nice to see a 9-0 every once in a while. Yeah, nice to see a 9 nil every once in a while. You ungrateful guy. Good Lord. Um, look. Uh, High I standards, think we, man. Seems, we, seems we, good. We, we pointed to this next result uh, in, in Monday's episode. But if you look back on, you know, the, the tale of the season, Jesse, the 1-0 the victory over Villa in the uh, 90th uh, minute plus two in extra time. And stoppage time, I should say. Uh, Sam Kerr gets a goal from uh, Zajaramusevich assist. This is a, you know, it's one of the moments of the season for sure, right? I mean, if you if you look at the way the league finished, Chelsea don't win this game. It's uh, it's probably not going in our way. Um, so, thoughts on the one nil and the goalkeeper assist? Yeah, when I was looking at like picking out what are the games that I feel like were the best, I guess best is like in inverted commas, but like maybe were most important already stood out. This one just felt so so essential because we'd had so many opportunities. We really should have kind of been way ahead and it very much reached the point where you just don't it just feels like it's not your day like it's not going to happen and we know Emma was basically so desperate she she deployed the Serena Wiegmann trick she'd put Millie up front and still that wasn't bearing fruit uh until this kind of goal kick and she kind of shoves everyone out the way and, and makes room for Sam and it's a great finish from Sam and obviously she whip, whips her shirt off and you know that image is kind of like one of the the photos of the season for the mm-hmm. club as well isn't it and Emma looks like she's in a bar fight and Eric Cuthbert's holding her back and just all of that is just the content that came from that moment was immense but the result as well was just yes yeah, so essential obviously you know 
we can look back across all like all of these games, right, and say, well, if you if that hadn't happened, if that hadn't happened, we wouldn't have won the league. But I think this was the game where it felt like we were closest, maybe, to to missing out that just because you know that must have been like our latest goal of the season, timestamp wise. And there is nothing better than winning a match in the in the final minute like that. Abdullah, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the I, I kind of hope that the goalkeeper assist happens as a as a as a as a tradition every year now. If we get one goalkeeper assist a year, I think that's that's very much a possible uh, a possible goal. So this year, if you're listening to this, AKB, if you're listening to this, please make sure you make it happen at least once a season. And you know what? If you want to make it in dramatic fashion as you did against Villa, be my guest. It 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 only it only adds to you know to the narrative. Um, scratch that if you want to do it in the second minute that would be great yeah. so we don't yeah. have to wait second minute tremendous. just so okay yeah. something mm-hmm. if you want to do it there sure if you want to keep everybody on the edge and give everybody heart attacks mm-hmm. I have no problem but for the sake of everybody's health so we can watch you for the rest of the season first second minute get it out there you know all, all good no but overall I think I think Jesse said it right like such a pivotal moment it, it just felt like one of those games that turns the season in your favor and that's what makes you a champion by coming through these games and winning them so, uh, yeah, I, I just felt like uh, I think I think we we talked a lot through the season about Chelsea struggling against teams in the middle and lower half of the table and how we can break down low blocks. I mean, I think that's been probably the most common theme of all most of our review episodes. But uh, yeah, this this result just kind of stood. Out. I mean, look at the xG two point two. I mean, there should have been like a few goals in there. But uh, yeah, really really good performance uh, overall. I'm going to immediately turn Jesse's attention to Jesse Fleming's uh, 90th plus five goal for, for the next match oh, yeah. where I completely contradict what she just said about late goals um, and the absurd pile driver that, that Jesse I can't had even look game. down my own script. Come on. You wrote, <laughs> you wrote the damn thing. Uh, look, this I think is my match of the year. Um, and in, in terms of the league, obviously like, Everything went against Chelsea in this match. The pitch was all-time bad. Um, Spurs were extra shithouse. AKB red card in the 33rd minute. Um, Chelsea playing uh, down to 10 players. This is a, you know, to to win 3-1 in this match and for it to be through uh, a girl right and absolute masterclass of a goal. Uh, Sam Kerr in the 71st minute, and then Jesse Fleming again with the exclamation point in the 90th plus five uh, minute. Th- this is a an absolute champion level performance. I think we said that on the podcast after this, Jesse. Um, that you know you got to win matches like this if you're going to be champions, and they did. I think in terms of like turnaround performance, I've not really seen anything us do anything like this except maybe that. Um... Atletico Madrid first leg last year in the Champions League, which was similar vibe, early red card to come through the game. Um, but yeah, I think again, the just this felt I think very different from say the Aston Villa game, whereby I just felt like we couldn't score no matter what. Whereas even though I was trying to like emotionally accept we were going to lose the league in this moment, you still just felt like we were better organized and you never really felt like we were missing a player on the pitch. And again, hindsight's like a wonderful thing. And like, you look at the final score and you're like, Oh yeah, of course Chelsea were able to come back. And at the time it didn't like quite feel like that, but uh, you know, it just felt like there would be a chance and that we had the players who would take that chance. And obviously that's what happened with Sam. Jesse gets that moment to make it, you know, 
to really put the cherry on top of the game. But it sounds, you know, Jesse's is the goal that, that stood out. Can't believe that wasn't in goal of the season, by the way. That's like still totally wild to me. Uh, but it was Sam's header that I guess is the one that also was just like, if you feed Sam Kerr in the box, like she'll get your goal. Don't matter how many players are on the pitch, you know. Yep. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's the lesson, right? Abdullah is if you have a match winner, you win matches. Yeah, 100%. And it looks like this Chelsea squad from the beginning of the season where you thought, right, you've got Anil Harder, Sam Kerr, and Frank Kirby as your match winners. I think I think one thing we can say is we've developed a couple more. Jesse Fleming being one of them, uh, who's really come to the fore and, and really started to develop herself as this... Um, as this really, really good, uh, versatile forward player for us and, and, and being able to, uh, being able to score those last minute goals, not just like tap ins, but like creating goals and, and, and pile drivers and, and screamers. And, and I think it's just a, it's a great weapon to have because the more finishes you have, the, 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 the better it is so that it's not always being relied on upon one person. It's, it's, it's kind of a shared load across, uh, across the team. Yeah, and, and I would just special shout for Garo's goal in this game. It's just mwah, chef's kiss. One on one, chip to the back post. She meant it. Just remember that. Um, all right, so final game of the season. Uh, game where, uh, of course, uh, Dan, Jake, and I were present, uh, where we had beers with Jesse after. Uh, Chelsea 4, Manchester United 2, the game where Chelsea win uh, the league for the third straight year in a row. Uh, this was wild. <laughs> uh, first half in particular, uh, Chelsea did not come out looking very confident. Uh, this was a, uh, you know, kind of a, a situation where they uh, were 2-1 down heading into halftime. Uh, Aaron Cuthbert got the goal in the first half. Sam Kerr in the 46th, right after halftime. Uh, Go right in the 51st. And then Sam Kerr in the 66th with the most audacious of, of takes uh, for, for the last goal of the year. Uh Jesse, we did a whole pot on this live with beers, but uh, what were your memories from this one? Just utter chaos, madness, <laughs> slight hysteria. <laughs> yeah, this is this was a this was a stressful game to sit through. I will say uh, it wasn't good vibes. The first half was not good vibes. We didn't play well. We deserved to be losing, uh, despite Aaron Cuthbert's best efforts. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make to make that not the case, she was but one woman among eleven who maybe weren't working as quite as hard as her. But second half just came out like a totally different team. To be honest, I'm still now a bit convinced that United knew that City were winning and therefore that the Champions League was done. And whether that helped, I don't know. I, this is a hypothesis, but I do wonder if that there was a bit of that from them that they had something to play for at the start of the first half that maybe they didn't at the start of the second, but. Also, the quality of the goals that were scored, there was probably nothing they could have done regardless. It was more they just kind of collapsed under the weight of Sam Kerr doing ridiculous follies, which he did twice. (laughs) Uh, And also, Guru's goal in this is another kind of underrated one that got obscured by by more spectacular goals, but was just a really nice move. And I'm glad we scored a goal like that because, you know, that... The football that we played at points this season has not always been the best Chelsea that I've ever got to watch. But and we have, I think, relied on at points like the kind of individual talent of Panila, Sam, and look, that's why you buy these players. 
<laughs> because they're part of your team and they can do shit like that. But that kind of team goal, which Guru finished off, I think was a really kind of nice homage to Hayes and, and the side and, and all of that to finish off the season on. Real top celebration from Guru right there as well. Just the power scream uh, <laughs> uh, with the with the title winning, uh, winning goal, Abdullah. I mean, this... Look, this was nuts. I mean, it, there was no better way to win the title, but it, there were points in this one where you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember, uh, obviously, it's not too long ago, so I remember sitting here and I was like, ready, okay, I'm ready to watch them. And I saw 2-1 down, and I was like, this is not in the script. Let's go. Oh, God. Like, I was genuinely worried going into halftime going, are they actually going to lose this? Are they actually going to let this slip? Um, you know? And then they just come out in the second half made some subs, changed the formation, and suddenly everything worked. It was the first time, and I'm pretty sure this is recency bias kicking in, but to me it felt like this was the first time all season where Emma made formational change, a tactical change with subs, and it worked almost instantly. Rather than I, I know it's worked in other games in more subtle ways, and it, it kind of worked over a period of 15, 20, 30 minutes, but this one just felt like... They just came out a different team. It's like suddenly, oh, maybe this is the team that should have started or you know, this is how they should have been playing from the beginning. And, and um, you know, I, I guess it was just a combination of being reminded. You know you have a title on the line. If you lose this, you lose the title. So you better win. And and I think for me, probably while it was heart-wrenching, it was probably one of my favorite games of the season uh, overall just because of the manner in which that second half they came out and really, um, really blew United away with that performance. And, um, obviously, Sam Kerr's goal was just unbelievable. That, that, that chest volley and, and into the goal. And, and even the XG, I mean, they had an XG of one. They scored four goals. So they are out overperformed their XG by three. So, I mean, that in itself just kind of tells you the whole story of how this, uh, how this game planned out. And I think that's a testament to their mentality over the season and how they were able to get out of those games. And, and you know, you even look back at the Birmingham game that uh, Penelope Hardis scored that penalty. Again, another game where you're like, Ooh, kind of have to win this. This is getting nervy. And then they, you know, they score the penalty and they go through. So it's just these, these, the mentality was, I think, that's the biggest uh, factor here. Yeah, I guess, Jesse, let's talk about that mentality, right? Um, this was not the smoothest pathway to a WSL title. Um, it came down to the last day, it came down to one point and, you know, a fair bit of goal diff and, you know, having to come from behind to win the title for, uh, for once, instead of just bossing it. Uh, what were your thoughts on, on Emma Hayes this season compared to other seasons? Does she have a, I mean, she obviously had a tougher job with all the things that were outside of her control at the club, right? I mean, stuff that was way out of anyone's control. Um, but what were your thoughts on just on the league campaign and, and maybe how she developed this team to kind of become title winners? Yeah, I think, you know, Hayes and, and other players at the club talked about how different it was for them to kind of be the the team chasing when they're so used to being chased. And I do think that like brought a different feel with it and maybe took some of the pressure off off us for, for portions of the season. Although obviously by the time we were into those last four games, even if we weren't technically top, everyone knew that we were the people who like could slip up so I think some of that stuff was just to kind of obfuscate and you know for me the way Hayes obfuscates stuff in the media is almost sums up the mentality thing because mm -hmm. that's the whole point like she is a manager where everything's 
constantly smoke and mirrors. Like, she's constantly bullshitting every line that comes out to the media, and you've got to, like, kind of dig through it. Like, who's injured? Nobody knows. Oh, a player's disappeared for, like, three months. Oh, you know, they're just somewhere else. Whatever, you know. It's just, like... But I think what she... It's a bit like Jose Mourinho, right? It's all this kind of, like crap and big lines that people pick up on because it protects your players because you're always the story you're always the focus it's always Emma Hayes and her geese or whatever she's going on about this week and that allows you to create a world where your players are free to kind of play and and not think about the pressure that actually rests on them you brought this up in our awards but you know the way that Magda is as a person and the way that Emma is these are two different personality types right um, and you know, I think Emma does an incredible job at the the bullshitting part of of her job because she has the personality to pull it off. Like, imagine any of the other, like, imagine Jonas Lidevall trying that. Like, he he oh, can't, he does. He's just not very good. Yeah, you know, but but he can't really like. He's not believable, and so I think the the fact that. You know, Emma is able to divert so much attention away and and probably allows Magda to be a little bit more herself instead of having to put on the brave face every single week in front of the media and stuff like that, I think makes this team work. Um, And look, we had a challenge this year with Magda not being available for all the matches either. I mean, this was this was not a a great injury year for for Chelsea, Uh, missing Fran, missing Magda, you know, playing a bunch of different players and. Uh, different formations and different positions and, uh, you know, losing Melly pretty early on and, and all that. So I think there was a lot of juggling. I think this was by far her best coaching job um, because there was so much to fight against. And what it means at the end of the day is that Chelsea have won the WSL three straight times. It's never been done before. Uh, and uh, Chelsea were obviously pushed to the to the limit in this one. But Amongst, amidst all the chaos, I should say, Abdullah, you're looking at a team full of winners. And while this may have not been the most attractive footballing season, you know, because I think last year was was pretty sexy in a lot of ways, uh, one might attest that this was the the best team. Yeah, I, I think so. I think I think obviously winning it three years in a row is uh, is quite the quite the achievement, and obviously it takes Chelsea to having won six overall championships since 2015 and they've come runner they've come runner up twice um and that's three over arsenal and and you know and that's you know, that i think that in itself is uh is a massive achievement and i think i think you're right i think i think this may not have been the prettiest football of of the last three years um i, I, w- I would put that to probably the the first title uh, of the three, may, you know, as as probably one of the one of the better ones. I think when Beth England scored like fourteen goals, I think that was some good football there. But I think in terms of resilience, in terms of the the makeup and shape uh, shape of the league and where everybody was at, you know, just to be able to get through that sort of adversity and that sort of competition, I think is just a great achievement. That's why I think you know, like we said, it's. It makes the it makes the victory all that more sweeter just because of the the way they came through this and were able to to um, to, to come through and I think and I think our um, kind of our suspicions and our and our thoughts will kind of be more probably more solidified with obviously the new Dizone series coming out we'll see behind the scenes what's going on and I think that will probably give us a better idea of 
how hard or how difficult it was for to get through some of these games. So I think that may put into perspective how amazing the season was in, in terms of the way it was won. And yeah, no, I agree. I think that's probably is the, the best season in terms of the achievement and what it means overall. Okay. Well, we're going to keep moving um, on to uh, pastures that were, that were mixed between the, uh, the Champions League, the FA Cup, and the Conte Cup. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to take a quick break. We know this is a, a, a deep episode. So uh, thank you to the sponsors for uh, supporting the show, obviously, and for all of you who support the show. And we will be right back. All right. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and and fat and now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables it's just hard to eat that many servings a day so uh, i started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient i'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system so what is this stuff well with one delicious scoop of ag1 you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food sourced superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it. It, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Uh, upcoming guys you know that we do this every week you know that jesse's been contributing to the patreon so go visit the patreon and and you know support uh jesse's work uh i would say uh we have tinkerman season review we have academy season review we have keep sell loan coming out soon so plenty of content for your uh for your bully season uh summer plans we have a lot going on so uh, stay tuned for all of that, and we'll be doing transfer updates and things as that kind of rolls in as well. Uh, all right, so we go from a high of winning the league, Jesse, to the low of uh, not advancing out of the group in the Champions League after uh, being a finalist the previous year. Uh, look, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but I think it's important that we kind of cover off uh, how Chelsea did and, and more, more importantly, didn't do in this yeah it's it's still a tough one to take I feel like I was at the Champions League final last week and it kind of all sunk in like that that kind of could have been us slash it would have been us I mean I'm kind of glad I didn't watch Chelsea Barcelona in person but it just kind of made me realize like what an amazing experience it was and how much I hope we get back onto that stage and and walk away with that title at some point soon but yeah I think this group stage was a new experience for everyone involved in it. It's obviously the first time it happened. I think 
many people maybe underestimated the difficulty of the group we were in. You know, I think for lots of people, Juventus, especially under Joe Montemuro, were a bit of an unknown quantity and they really showed how good they were as a team. And then Wolfsburg under Tommy Stroop were also a bit of an unknown quantity and I think they kind of showed throughout the Champions League run how much they'd improved, even though I actually think they were pretty crap the first time they played us. So I think what's frustrating about this is there are... There are explanations that you can point to, reasons you can point to for going out in the group that, you know, I think if we'd been in any other group as like one of the top seeds we would have gone through just because of the difference in quality. So there's like an unfortunateness there. But what's ultimately frustrating is this was in our hands and we did fuck it up. And you kind of got to admit that and, and kind of just take the lessons from that and move on to next season. And hopefully, you know, hopefully from playing two teams as good as Wolfsburg and Juventus twice, we'll have grown more than maybe we would if we'd walked through an, another group and then gone into the knockout stages. Yeah, Abdullah, I mean, to me, not only was there a hangover, you know, from from the 4-0, you know, Champions League uh, result, which I think makes sense. You know, it's a pretty shocking result for a team that cruised through most of the season last year, right, with, with very little resistance. But uh, you look at, the Champions League as a whole and how good that competition is and the level at which this year's final was played uh, with Barcelona not even winning this year's final, right? And, and having, you know, so much go into this tournament, um, it shows that there's a level that Chelsea need to consistently achieve to me. And, and of course, that didn't happen in the group stage this year, but this is part of the level up of this club is as they continue to advance and become the best versions of themselves. Yeah, 100%. I think I think I think Barcelona and Leon showed that, you know, I think it's it's they are the level to reach both of them and then the, and then you've obviously got the rest the PSGs, the Bayerns and the Wolfsburgs and I think I think Chelsea can 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 almost immediately quote unquote compete against that tier below which is your Juve's PSG's and, and Wolfsburg's and I think they've got the, the the squad and the ability to do that so I don't I'm not worried about that it's it's how can they reach the level of Lyon and Barcelona because we saw that final like you said those played at such a high level such a high pace it, it took discipline tactical now you know just kind of changes and nuances and so many small details that had to be executed to perfection and there's no you know there's no room for um, mistakes and and you know you see the difference between last year's final and this year's final. You know last year Barcelona were able to just play through and, and and score the four goals, and this year they looked in parts a very ordinary team because you know what, whether it was Leon's game plan or whatever it was, it just that level of that is the level you need to strive for to be able to make it to a Champions League final and probably go ahead and win it. So, uh, you know, in some sense, it's good. At least Chelsea now have a reference point of somebody other than Barcelona to reach to and say, if we can reach the level of Lyon, we can beat Barcelona and anybody else that comes in our way. So I think it's a good it's a good place to be aiming for. And if they're able to do that, then, you know, the WSL just becomes that much easier for them to to navigate through. Justin, I'm going to ask you your own question since you wrote the script. Uh, did going out of the Champions League early uh, help Chelsea grit their teeth for the rest of the domestic year? I think so. I think if we'd gone further in the Champions League, I don't know if we come back to win the league. Cup competitions is, is maybe a bit different, but I think we saw how the cup run kind of affected Arsenal. It obviously puts 
extra strain on your squad. You know, you can pick up more injuries. You're asking maybe fringe players to play even more minutes than they, they did for us normally. And I think a combination of kind of having that lifted from us, you know, relieved us of those kind of pressures, but also maybe gave us a focus of like, right, well, if we were in the Champions League, we all know that Emma's desperate to win the Champions League. We've never won it before. That would have been the number one priority. And I would have understood that. Like, I wouldn't have had a problem with that at all. So I think getting, once we were out of that, you had to say, well, like, let's try and win everything else that we can because we're pissed off that we've gone out of the Champions League. And look, with the exception of a rubbish 45 minutes, basically, we we did that, you know? Absolutely. I mean, it also just kind of tees up, you know, I think where Chelsea went with the other cups, right? I mean, we, we won, uh, we, we played in two FA Cup finals in, in a calendar year due to the delay from the previous season, obviously. Uh, and we won both of them. And you just wonder, you know, at that time with as many matches as Chelsea were playing, uh, you know, if the Champions League was still on the table, if, if Chelsea would have perhaps taken those FA Cup finals as seriously as, as they did. And uh, it was a tremendous uh, route to, to both of them. Obviously winning both finals, we were, we were there in person for the win against City uh, in, in extra time. But uh, look, th- this was a huge uh, season for the, F- for the FA Cup. Um, record crowds at Wembley for both finals. Uh, this, this most recent edition being, I think, the all-time record. Uh, but we have to look back to a couple of key results for the previous year's edition of the FA Cup because you you go on to uh, just route City uh, 3-0 uh, in semi, uh, which was a kind of natural place for Chelsea and City to meet as they usually meet in the semi. Uh, and then uh, you look at the, the final 3-0 against Arsenal. Uh, these were both... Uh, kind of key matches in the season. I think both were incredible feel-good moments uh, for a team that was going through a lot at that time. Um, so, Abdul, I'll turn this over to you. Uh, which one of these do you like more and why? Oh, man. Um, it's tough, but I think uh, I think Arsenal. I think the Chelsea-Arsenal game is, is probably the, uh, the cream of the crop. The game that turned the season, the one that... Um, the one that we all just went back and went, fair enough. Team is here. <laughs> They've done their thing. I can't say I can't ask for anything else. It was just that turning point. We talked about it in the last episode. Um, and just the quality of goals and the performance on, on, on a big stage like Wembley, I think, was was just was just brilliant. And um, so, uh, you know, it's just I just remember going back after the game and just doing what Sam Kerr did, which was which was this. You know, that was that was that's that's the reaction of the entire game. So. Um, from my favorite, again, like I said, my favorite moment of the season just when Sam did this, and that just epitomized the game for me. So yeah, it has to be that one. The too hot to handle Eden Hazard celebration redux. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was all right. Hundred uh, percent. It reminded me the Arsenal final reminded me Jesse of you know it's dumping rain. It's it's not not a great weather day out, um, but and it's the fifth of December, so it's cold. Uh, this like the team came out looking incredibly focused and it, it kind of reminded me of like the I am the storm uh, scenario, right? Where it's like, you, we're just going to go win today. Like that's all, that's all it'll be. This game should have been more brutal than it even was. Like we should have been three and up by half time. So that's how much we absolutely played them off the park. Like it, it was, 
it was the best example, I think, of what Emma Hayes' press can do that we saw this season, at how it can just, like, make teams crumble. And then th- there's the players who just, like, devastate you when they get in the box, even though actually, yeah, as I say, we should have had a lot more goals. Fran and Sam kind of between them let let some opportunities slip away from them and obviously it didn't have to matter. So that that was fine. And I think, you know, there was a bit of worry in half-time that game of, like, oh, we've not made this count like what happens if Arsenal come out for the second half like totally different but they didn't and a highlight from this as well was that when Sam Sam's first goal is like the mirror of the one Viv scored against us at the Emirates in the way that she wrong foots Manny's Innsberger and that felt like probably wasn't I mean I don't know Sam Kerr's the kind of footballer who I can imagine does think about these things normally I'd say <laughs> footballers like surely just want to score the goal in the yeah. most effective way to score the goal but I can imagine Maybe Sam was thinking about this, uh, but that almost felt like, you know, when Millie and Aaron did the Jonas Idevel celebration in at the end of the season, this was like the footballing version of that. Fair enough. Yeah. And look, uh, you could you could make a case it was our best performance of the year. It was it was completely and utterly dominant. I mean, there was there was no Arsenal retort. The sad Beth Mead memes that came out of that were tremendous um, and and it spurned us on for the. 2021-2022 FA Cup win. Uh, let's just go through the quick results here. Fourth round, 3-1 versus Villa. Fifth round, 7-0 versus Leicester. Poor Leicester. Uh, quarterfinal, 5-0 versus Birmingham. Uh, semifinal, a 2-0 versus Arsenal with uh, Girl Wrighton and G scoring an absolute pile driver in that game. Uh, and then Chelsea beating City uh, 3-2 after extra time. Uh, in a game where Chelsea did not play very well. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that City had the the better of that game, but just scored goals in, in crucial moments, Abdullah. And again, this is Sam Kerr being Sam Kerr. As as Sam Kerr does, yeah. I think I think even that game against Manchester City, I think, was such a was such a good performance. And I think I think I think, you know, in some weird way it was like you almost expect to be Arsenal. You know, in some you know, after the except for the first game of the season, you almost say, like, Yeah. We'll be Arsenal. Chelsea has a very good chance of beating Arsenal, but then when it comes to Manchester City, I know we said earlier in the in the episode that you know they we, they kind of became not so, so much of a bogey team, but like because they won the last you know Conti Cup against against Chelsea, you were like, oh, maybe they'll do it in finals. Maybe they'll just win you know finals against Chelsea because it's it's a it's a cup competition. But I think I think the the first half was. Uh, was pretty tense. Lauren Hemp obviously came back with that with that really good goal, and when Rasso equalised in in you know late in the game, you're like, oh no, this is going to extra time. What's happening? And then for Chelsea to come through with with the goals and Sam Kerr leaving it really really late to kind of finish it off, you were like at that point you were like, yeah, this is this is this is Chelsea at their at their best, and they've come back and you know they've they've fought through the. Uh, Fought through the um, the mental, the possible mental block of of maybe losing a final to Manchester City already in a season. So, I think it was it was just a great win overall from a, from a mentality standpoint. Absolutely, uh, and and we do have to quickly mention that Chelsea did lose the Conti Cup, uh, having won it the two previous years. Uh, beat West Ham four uh, two, beat Manchester United three one, and then uh, I believe that was the uh, the three one was the harder. Uh, soul snatching goal moment, um, if I'm not mistaken, my my goal of the year, uh, and then uh, on the fifth of March, uh, did not do the business, and this was post 
uh, Chelsea sale being announced and a whole bunch of weird times that were, that were being had, uh, Manchester City three, Chelsea one, um, didn't really see this coming, Jesse, I'll be honest with you. This was a, a bit of a weird one. Yeah. I think mainly as well, because we very rarely go one nil up and then kind of get comprehensively beaten in the way that we did. But as you said, Nick, there was a lot of factors kind of flying around. There was a lot of controversy about this pitch kind of being shit. It was a miserable, miserable day. To be honest, I've kind of like blocked large portions of this game out of my mind just because it was so rubbish. But it was just a bit of a case like... It was annoying because we'd beaten City obviously so comprehensively earlier in the season. And City are, I've said this before, I said it again, they're a really obvious team. You know exactly what they're going to do. It's just this time we let them do it. And that's why Caroline Weir scored two goals because it's like so predictable what she's going to do. But if you let her do it, she'll she'll be very good at it. But now she's gone. So we don't have to worry about her in the WSL at least anymore. Uh, so yeah, an annoying one. And I think one that we probably feel like we should have won, but I would always take winning the FA Cup at Wembley over winning the Conti Cup at Ploughlane. Jula, do you support that incredibly controversial take from Jesse? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I'll say yes. Just just because we want hot takes, I'll, I will agree with I'll agree with that hot take. I think it's uh, it's. You know, it's always it's always good when you when you when you beat your rivals, but when you beat them in that way, it's it's like you, you'd rather win the FA Cup than the Conti Cup in general. So, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's it's. But yeah, I, I, overall, I agree with the whole thing, and, and there's nothing more to add because it's it it is what it is. Well, that is the year in review, obviously, um, but we do want to do a little bit of a of a look ahead, right? It's not it's not enough to just talk about what happened. We want to think about what what might happen and the. Uh, Todd Bully Showtime Blues era. Um, and look, we have a 2022-2023 season coming up um, that will be very interesting. Obviously, you know, with uh, the amount of players that Chelsea are losing uh, this summer, there's some work to do um, from a transfer perspective. But I just want to start with a basic question for you both, and we'll start with Jesse. What are your expectations uh, for next season? And I think we we always like to frame this up in terms of the competitions that we're in, right? Yeah, I think in some ways my expectations for next season have kind of become what my expectations for this season were. E.g., we will probably put more focus on the Champions League to maybe the detriment of other competitions. But to be honest, I'm kind of okay with that because I really want to win the Champions League. Um, And that's kind of what I thought would happen this year. Obviously, it didn't play out because of when we went out the Champions League and, and we kind of get this this run. I think what will be really interesting is, you know, Arsenal have obviously had a lot of turnover. They've now maybe got a bit more stability, although I think there will be a couple more ins and outs. City are, have, are getting rid of all of their players, so there's going to be a lot of turnover there. So I think for me, maybe what will be more important which we didn't get this season is that really quick start and maybe whether we can get kind of points on the board hopefully I don't really know how they the fixture generator works whether that like Chelsea Arsenal thing was was purposeful but I would really like an easier game to start our season and then to kind of be able to ease our way into it a bit more but yeah I think we'll see Champions League you know first and foremost well let's talk about the Champions League Abdullah I mean we we mentioned previously the level that Barcelona, Lyon, uh, at all are are kind of at right now. 
can Chelsea be competitive, reach another final in that type of environment, or will it take significant squad overhaul to kind of get there? I don't think it needs significant squad overhaul. I think the the foundational pieces are there. It's just adding in that little bit of extra quality and consistency, rather, in, in certain positions. Obviously, we've, we're going to talk about this in a second, but I think, you know, if we get a you know get a more consistent fullback and get an extra fullback and it really raises our quality and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. um i think if we can add two maybe three players of real quality that can come in and really do um and really raise the level of the squad to the level of a Pinilla Harder, sam kerr etc cetera, etc cetera, then i think um this team can catch barcelona but i also think it will it will take a level of tactical flexibility and st- and uh, yeah, tactical flexibility from Emma Hayes to be able to kind of be able to really show that she can compete with some of the best, you know, tac- tacticians in 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 Bompastor and and Nijeraldes, you know, who you know who were uh, able to kind of tweak their tactics and really change them from game to game. Maybe not Barcelona so much, but I think I think Leon showed towards the end of the Champions League that they were able to tweak their systems enough to be able to keep the ethos of what they were playing with, but also be able to change it enough that opposition teams were like, all right, this is different. How do we counteract this? And and it worked. Uh, so I think I feel like Chelsea need to show that level of flexibility and, and that level of, uh, of of change to be able to, I think, reach that level. Because I, I think you need that. You know, you look at um, you look at teams like PSG and Bayern and, and, and Wolfsburg and they've got top quality squads. But I think, you know, to some extent, I think Chelsea probably have a, a little bit of a better squad overall than, than and all three of those teams. And especially more so if we can add the additions that we're talking about. So it's it's incremental change. I don't know exactly if, if they're going to be able to catch Barcelona in this upcoming season. There's a good chance they can. But again, it depends on the coming in, coming out. But uh, uh, sorry, rather the, the coming ins. But um, they can. I think I think. The, the potential is there to catch Barca and Leon in the next two years, if not the next year. Do you agree with that, Jesse? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. I do think the squad is in a more concerning situation than maybe meets the eye. There are a couple of like immediate things that I think we need. We need a starting left back. Like There currently isn't a starting left back in this squad. Uh, I think we need another right back. We probably need two midfielders. But also on top of that, there are a large number of players who are going to age out in the next couple of seasons. And whilst, you know, I think now and Lauren James, Elsa Abdelina maybe represent new trials, represent the players who are going to replace them. There are still players like, you know, Magda and Millie are both kind of in their late 20s. Sam and Fran are, you know, similarly aged as well. Beth is around that age too. So Penila as well. There is a lot of players who are going to hit 30 over the next two seasons. So I think there's also a lot of forward planning required as well. And I think getting the balance between, I think generally it's something Chelsea have done really well. And that's why we've been at the top for so long, you know, like touching on the kind of the turnover that City and Arsenal have seen. We, we've not really had that, but that's something I think we need to balance with those maybe more immediate priorities that will allow us to compete more in the Champions League immediately. I mean, that kind of answers the question about where do we see the squad going? Um, I guess, are there any other additions? Like, if we're going to compete for the Champions League next season. Is fullback the one area? Like, if you had to pick one, is fullback the area that we have to get better in? Or would you guys pick another spot? I think midfield, personally. I mean, okay. I think fullback is, like, maybe the most obvious and immediate thing because there's a big hole there. But I think if you look at how... The teams that do well in Europe play, and this is my worry about 
Chelsea in Europe still is that I think Champions League football at the moment within the women's game is incredibly possession-based and incredibly technical. And I think Chelsea have succeeded within the WSL because they kind of play a high press, give you the ball counter-attacking style of football. And I think actually against some of the best European teams, that hasn't really come to fruition. I mean, Wolfsburg have shown that you can kind of like use a use a high press to rattle these kind of more technical teams. So, and Chelsea did it to Wolfsburg and Bayern last year. So it's not impossible, but I think, you know, having that kind of technical quality in midfield is really essential to allow you to have the option to kind of play those teams at their own game. Abdullah? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think, um, like, like Jesse said, the, the, the Champions League is a lot more possession based, a lot more, uh, a lot more tactical. I think, I think the level of, the, the level of tactical input that's there in the Champions League versus what you get in the, in the, um, in the WSL is, is, is almost night and day, mainly because in the WSL, you're almost getting, and I'm generalizing here, so, so, so bear with me, but it's pretty much, if you're playing, mid-table to bottom half you kind of know exactly what they're going to do week in week out everyone's going to play the same way against a Chelsea or a City or an Arsenal and so it's very easy to kind of set up against that in, in some sense um, but in the Champions League when you're coming up against a big side you don't know how they're going to play they could be playing their their regular style they could have a tweaked style they could go completely different and their level of players are, are obviously a lot lot higher um, and they and obviously like we've seen that each league um each league uh, comes through with with their own styles. So every like the Spanish league has a certain style of play, the French league has a certain style of play, the German league has a certain style of play. So I think being able to come up coming up against them and kind of having to adjust against the different types of opponent, I think it's a lot harder. And um, the, the, you know, if you can pick players from, I mean, not necessarily, but if you can get players from different leagues uh, who have that sort of who are used to that, it only helps with with going through in the Champions League. All right, two more questions. If you could sign one player today, it doesn't matter cost or anything else. Who is it and why? Lena Oberdorf for me. I'd take Lena Oberdorf. Just in terms of she has the defensive capabilities to sit in front of our defense, the technical ability. She's also really funny on social media, which I feel like is a, is a nice vibe for okay. the club. I like uh, it. She's young. She's ridiculously talented. And she will almost certainly not leave Wolfsburg this summer. <laughs> Uh, oh, Abdullah, what a, one what player. A tough, what a tough question. I mean, Lena's a good shout. If I had to pick one, you put me on the. You know what? I'll take Ashley Lawrence from PSG. What a fullback. That would be my second choice. Yeah, Ashley, Ashley Lawrence. And if we're talking about fullbacks needed to be signed, can play either side, world class fullback, can, you know, kind of the level that Chelsea needs to, to progress that next level that we've been talking about. So, yeah, uh, Ashley Lawrence for me. And that one could happen because PSG are a basket case. So. <laughs> Well, Good well, come on down, Ashley. Let's go. Let's get it done. <laughs> All get, right, last get question. Agent Jesse. Get Agent Jesse on the job. There we go. Uh, last question, guys. One big prediction for 22-23. Uh, what's, what's something outrageous that could happen? We're going to knock Barcelona out of the Champions League. It's not a prediction. I just want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I love the enthusiasm with that. That was great. Abdullah? That's, that's great. Oh, it's going crazy. It can happen. Oh, Chelsea, Oof. they go completely unbeaten to the final of the Champions League next season. They don't drop a single point from any of the games, double legs, whatever. We'll just, let's just go, let's go wild. Let's go wild. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, hot one takes, big the prediction. hot takes are hot today. Yeah, I yeah, know, I mean, we're asking for it, right? 
Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit differently. I think I think Chelsea are going to win a domestic treble next year uh, between the Conti Cup, the FA Cup, and the league again. Uh, you, you guys talked about the turnover at other clubs this summer. I think Chelsea will strengthen. And, uh, you know, again, if if Abdullah's sentiment is right and we're not quite ready for that, you know, the Champions League title yet, I think go full in, win the domestic treble, just continue to solidify yourself uh, as perennial winners. So uh, that is what I got. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, guys. We looked at the entire season in review uh, called out some crucial moments, called out a number of trophies, three in total, um, two from this year, one from last year. And and look, uh, the team is entering a new phase, right? New ownership group, new uh, level of investment. Uh, let's hope that the continued diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives uh, are, are, are alive and well. Let's hope that the team comes out with a uh, renewed sense of enthusiasm uh, for next season. And until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.